This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly sponsored by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. As a city supporter, we know you value delivery and McDelivery is up there with the very best. You'll always be winning with McDelivery because just like Kevin De Bruyne, McDelivery puts your order right on a plate. So the only thing left to say is, are you in? Order now on the McDonald's app and you can also get rewards points delivered as well. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for you tomorrow. Only via the app at participating restaurants, 18 plus, rewards registration required, points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Do City function better without Haaland? Is the back free a masterstroke by Pep? What next for City's old foes Liverpool? And what would we put in the ultimate Jack Grealish Chinese order? It's Tuesday the 4th of April. I'm Amos Murphy. I'm Adam Booker. And I'm Ollie Kirsch. And this is the City Report Podcast. Unbelievable! Manchester United 1, Manchester City 6. It's 2 for Dzeko. Tottenham Hotspur 3. Manchester City 4. They have made the impossible possible. Chaps, happy Tuesday. Um, we're enjoying, I said yesterday, a little bit of sunshine that's carried over again. Um, Starting to enjoy spring, although the, the leaves haven't come back on the trees yet, which is a little bit, getting a little bit concerned for those leaves. Ollie, how are you doing? Yeah, I'm good. Uh, grinding hard, back on sales and cold calling and whatnot, trying to, trying to scramble my first few clients together. So all moving well, hard work, but that's what it's all about, isn't it? That must have been the number I just blocked after it tried to ring me about four <laughs> times. Um, Adam, same question. How's things? Uh, yeah, things are fine. We haven't had the 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 good weather roll into Portland yet. I, I got off the plane after being spending a few weeks in very rainy and cold Manchester and and stepped back into rainy and cold Portland. But um, it's coming, so I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, it's a, it's a sort of, it, it depicts your your soul, your cold heartedness. It's coming through the weather, a nice bit of pathetic fallacy there. I'm turning into a bastard so far. I um, am becoming a more positive person. <laughs> You've been working on yourself. Yeah, I I was telling Laura this weekend, I'm gonna be I'm gonna be living in the moment and enjoying every step of my day from here on out. Because I'm well, going to die at uh, die at 45 of a massive coronary at this rate. <laughs> you sound like one of those um, LinkedIn <laughs> fellas who post who post the daily routine. Like you've got to get up at 5 a.m. You're in the gym by six. I say my my daily affirmations. I write what I'm grateful for yeah. down in a journal. I meditate. 
Yeah, it's yeah. a whole new me. Yeah, well, nothing wrong with meditating. I do enjoy that. But um, as for the waking up at 5am and going to the gym at 6, probably not. Um, right, okay, let's crack into it then. As mentioned, um, we're following in from the review show which dropped yesterday i was joined by ollie and joe go back and listen to that if you haven't already um just basically picking up the talking points that we didn't mention in that episode from city's 4-1 win over liverpool starting off with this one ollie a little bit trivial to kick things off chinese orders obviously jack Grealish made headlines a couple of weeks ago by uh, he didn't post that. I think it was a TikTok with the City official account where he sort of went through what he orders after every game. I think it totaled to something like £56, which was rather astonishing. Quickly, um, what's your go-to? Sweet and sour chicken, salt and pepper chips, maybe egg fried rice. I'm quite straightforward, me. Prawn harkow as well, starters, the, the little dumplings. I'm quite nice. straightforward. I, d- I don't really uh, stray too far from the normal. Although something I used to enjoy, which I don't anymore, I don't know why my taste just changed, was lemon fried chicken. It's oh. a little bit different. place near where I used to live did some really good lemon fried chicken. But now I'm straight down the line, sweet and sour chicken, egg fried rice, salt and pepper chips. Interesting. I, I, I would say Chinese is probably, Adam, the ultimate British takeaway. Um, I, you know, I absolutely love Indian food, but I think with Indian food, it's best when it, you're sitting down in a restaurant and it comes with the, you know, the poppadoms, the chutneys, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But as a sort of a takeaway delivery, Chinese food is fantastic. I'm interested. What is the, what is the, what sort of experiences of Chinese food do you get in America? Because obviously, you know, a lot of Mexican food inspired um, in the US and, and the states. Is that is, is Chinese a big part of the food culture? Would Jack Green yeah, like it, basically? I think so. Yeah, it, it's everywhere. Um, yeah, uh, if I were to be building, if I were to throw something into the Jack Grealish potluck, my my typical go-to is General So's chicken. Is that something okay. you guys have? I've no. I mean, well, I don't eat chicken, so you're asking the wrong person. But I think, but but at least in the U.S., it's an absolute staple on a Chinese menu. So, like, if you had it on your menus, you would know. I think. Right. Um, right. General So's chicken. A little bit of. Uh, is lo mein Chinese? A lot of our restaurants here will have like Chinese and then also some yeah. Japanese with it and stuff. So I, Thai, I, Vietnamese, I don't know what the yeah what the crossover is, but General So's chicken, a bit of beef and broccoli, uh, some lo mein and fried rice. That's that's my go to. Nice, nice. I'm just looking. General So's chicken. Uh, it says predominantly served in North American Chinese restaurants. So we might have to uh, we might have to give that one a try, Ollie. Um, so it's not. So is it not even a Chinese thing? It's just an American <laughs> Chinese. Thing? Isn't that just most American food culture though? Like yeah, yeah. Uh, Italian American is something that yeah. You know, we, we just it's it's American food, <laughs> but we call it like the Great Wall and say it's Chinese. Yeah. <laughs> right. Okay. Um, let, let's move swiftly on before anyone uh, causes any offense. Um, that's Jack Grealish's Chinese order. I thought it'd be nice to just kick things off with that. Hopefully, he, hopefully he enjoyed it on Saturday night and isn't feeling too rough um, on his couple of days off, three days off. I think it was after that game. Ollie, um, let, let's turn some focus towards the tactics then. And obviously, one debate that has sprung up again, and, and the narrative has been fueled by that victory, is the Haaland versus Alvarez. Are Man City better without Haaland? Blah blah blah. We'll save the listeners' time. We'll save our time by saying no. Manchester City 
are not better off without 42-goal Erling Haaland. However, I do think if we can peel the onion back a little bit, there is a conversation to be had about why City looked so in control, particularly that second half. And I'm not saying City haven't controlled a game like that with Haaland in the team, but we're looking at that second half as going, that was probably as close to total football we've seen this season in terms of the way the ball was being rotated, the goals, the chances that were being created as well. Okay, caveat, Liverpool were dog shit and that did help but (laughs) is there something in there to say that perhaps the addition of Julian Alvarez as opposed to Erling Haaland allows City to control the possession a lot more and and create those chances we saw them creating en masse last season I I don't think it was the absence of Haaland or the presence of Alvarez that unlocked so much control for us actually I think it was uh, John Stones and I know you were singing his praises for good reason. And having that double pivot of Stones and Rodri sat in that defensive midfield position is what allows us to so efficiently not only recycle possession, but to move up the pitch in a controlled uh, in a controlled and safe manner. So I've said it before, I'll say it again. I think the best way that we can get both, the best way that we can get the best out of both Haaland, Alvarez and the team is by having them both on the pitch together. See, the funny thing is, in the first half, when we were a little profligate and you know, we went 1-0 down, it wasn't looking so rosy. There were murmurs around me in the stands of, oh, you know, Haaland would have been there, Haaland would have finished that. And there were, there were a couple of balls in the box that we were perhaps, again, lacking the big man in the middle. So, for me, the answer is, of course, no, we are not better without Haaland. Are we a better footballing side with Alvarez? Yes. But for me, I think there's room for both of them. You know, if we're going to go with that three at the back or four at the back with one of them becoming this pseudo false defender number six that that John Stones was, uh, then that is going to enable a lot more freedom higher up the pitch for both a number nine in Haaland and a player like Alvarez that's just going to terrorise the opposition back line. So that's how I see it unfolding in the future. Um, but ultimately, listen, when we're playing well, we're a phenomenal side, whether it is Haaland or Alvarez that's in there. Um, small differences. For me, there's kind of a simple way to look at this. When If I'm an opposition defense and I see Haaland in the starting 11, it's kind of a pick your poison, the Haaland or Alvarez thing. Because with Haaland, you know what's coming and you can't stop it. You know the ball's going to come over the top, the balls are going to go in behind, and he's just going to be a, a physical phenomenon, and he's going to brush off people like Van Dyke and Dan Byrne as if they are, you know, David Silva, and, and, and get on the ball. Um, with Poor Alvarez, Davis. though, well, listen, <laughs> he was a magician, but he wasn't a physical specimen. Um, with Alvarez, though, he's going to drop into midfield, and when he drops into midfield, maybe Kevin De Bruyne becomes more advanced, or... You know, a, a Phil Foden or a Riyad Mahrez kind of rotates centrally and takes up the space that he's left. And so it's kind of like with Holland, you know what's coming, you can't stop it. With if it's just Alvarez up top, you don't really know what's coming, and that causes its own set of issues. So, like Ollie said, it's not necessarily a you know A versus B, which one is better. It's it's different options, it's different looks, it's different ways to to go at an opposition defense. And just to add to that as well, we can't discount the fact that, yes, Liverpool, especially in midfield, are dog shit. They've got a midfield full of lead boots between Fabinho, Henderson, Milner when he comes on. 
they've not got the energy. I mean, they, they actually executed it fairly well in the first maybe 20 to 30 minutes, a fairly intensive press and cause us trouble. Of course, we could deal with it because we had that extra body of John Stones in there. This isn't a question of Alvarez. This is a question of John Stones and that support for Rodri in the uh, in the central areas as we play out. But once once that first 30 minutes or so elapsed, they slowed down so much. And mm. we probably could have just had Rodri on his own in midfield and we would have exerted just as much control. So we can't necessarily take from a conclusion we can't take the conclusion from that game as we controlled the game really well therefore it is the better option for control to have Alvarez because there is the opposition to consider here they are incredibly lacklustre in midfield um, slow leggy they're not particularly sharp they're just not very good in midfield honestly mm. they, they need to refresh the side completely where that's concerned um, so yeah a few factors at play can't discount the opposition, but yeah, for me, stick both of them in there. As long as Rodgers has got stones next to him, uh, obligatory men- mention of Rico next to him, um, <laughs> just somebody somebody filling in, in in that pseudo number six role, and I think we can exert just as much control over any game as, as we would, whether it's Haaland or not. I need somebody to make that Simpsons meme with your face on it, Ollie. Um, say the name, say the name, Rico Lewis, say the name. Um, Always, it's my duty, Amos. Yeah, yeah, you're getting commission. Um, right, I, I, I agree, I agree entirely. For me, it isn't a case of our City better off without Harlan. It's a case of our City better with Julian Alvarez in the team, who I mentioned yesterday, he was parachuted into Argentina's World Cup winning campaign to to be the saviour for, for Leo Messi. He got the best out of Lionel Messi. He gets the best out of Erling Haaland because guess what he's a bloody good footballer and um, I'm just wondering then Adam you know City have a lot of good players and specifically a lot of good midfielders Ilkay Gundogan I thought had his as good a match I've ever seen him have in a City shirt let alone this season let alone sort of the last few weeks and considering his contracts up in the summer I think it's ludicrous it's got to that position he's not been maybe he has been offered an extension and, and he doesn't want it but you know City should be doing a lot to get him back into the team next year because he's that good but if you play Alvarez and you play Haaland together it's likely going to be one of those midfielders who drops out? Who who's the, who's the make way in that? Because obviously you're looking at someone like perhaps Kevin De Bruyne. Well, he showed against Liverpool that this is his time this season. You are dropping Kevin De Bruyne at this point in the campaign, you you know you're opening yourself up for uh, more troubles than it's worth. You're then looking at perhaps Bernardo Silva, who obviously you know reports suggested he might have been a little bit poorly at the weekend. That's why he didn't start. He came off the bench, but he hasn't been a a stonewall member of the starting eleven. He's been in and out, and obviously another one who's who's mooted with a, a move away at the end of the season. Or Ilkay Gundogan. You know, there you sort of three midfielders. You're looking at going right. One of them doesn't play. When in actual fact, you could make a, a case for them all starting. So who is the who is the one you can sacrifice the most to get the best out of Ireland with Alvarez in behind him? I'm going to be really annoying and kind of sit on the fence and and go with this a similar answer to the to the Holland versus Alvarez discussion because I don't think it's necessarily you're sacrificing one at the expense of another because they all have different things that they do. They have mm. different traits that that they're good at. You know, Gundogan is very much a tempo setter as well as a guy that could almost play as a second striker and and make the late runs that have now become so kind of vintage when you think about Gundogan the late runs into the box at, at the back at the back post whereas you know Bernardo is somebody that is going to be that true box to box midfielder and he's going to do work defensively he's going to press he's going to be 
you know, a part of the attacking five. He can go out on the right wing from time to time, whereas, you know, you, you don't think Gundogan would necessarily ever do that. Um, so I think it's really just situational. You know, I think a game like this where knowing what we know about Liverpool's midfield, and you, you know that Pep Guardiola was going into that thinking, we can absolutely control this midfield. If we put a couple extra bodies in there, we're going to control everything. And in a game where you have loads of control, I want Ilkay Gundogan in the team. Um, whereas, you know, maybe a game like Bayern, where it might be a bit more helter-skelter and Bayern might see more of the ball and they'll have, you know, a bit more of attacking thrust, then maybe I want Bernardo Silva in the team because he's going to um, be on his bike the whole time and, and he's going to be doing the pressing and a lot of the dirty work and even dropping back into the, the back four or five and, and doing the defensive work. So, like I said, I don't think it's necessarily sacrificing one at the expense of another. I think it's just situational that we have such a well-rounded set of players in the midfield. Rodri does his his own thing. De Bruyne has his own set of skills that nobody else can, you know, can hit. Gundogan has his couple of traits that nobody else does. Bernardo has his couple of traits that nobody else does. So for all the talk of a midfield refresh coming in the summer, it is a really, really um, fantastic amount of, of depth and quality and different traits in that midfield. So like I said, I'm, I'm kind of sitting on the fence with that, but um, I think it's really just situational. I'm trying to pitch what, what bike does Bernardo Silva rise? Surely it still has stabilizers. He, he's not quite. He's not quite progressed past the need to take them off yet. Uh, probably a little BMX with a nice basket on the front, so he can trundle around with his little dog, um, little dog sticking out the front. Um, yeah, yeah. I know. I know what you mean. And, and you know, it's a, it was a sort of a hollow question because it depends on the opponent. I was sort of thinking more in those big games, perhaps by Munich. You know, can you get Julian Alvarez? Because as well, another part of that, as we saw, his finishing ability is fantastic. So f- for for whatever reason, perhaps Erling Haaland doesn't have his shooting boots on like he didn't at, at the city ground against Nottingham Forest. You know, Julian Alvarez is there. And, and I feel as though he's a player who sometimes when he's being dropped into the team with 10 minutes to go after city chasing the game he doesn't he doesn't quite get the k you know he doesn't get to speed as quickly as he may may have done if he was at the start so i'm, I'm with you Ollie. i think you know both of them should start together um let's quickly then do some chat about the defense that was horrific grammar i apologize but um back three slash four ollie i think you know let's face it it's here to stay I know Adams had a couple of uh, qualms in the past. Maybe those, maybe those qualms are being squashed a little bit now. But what did you make of it against Liverpool? I, I felt for the most part it was good. Obviously, John Stones with Rodri, you're always going to get that little bit of extra protection. Akanji, though, for me, I'm, I'm, I'm not having doubts at all. I don't, I don't want to say that you know for 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 whatever reason I don't trust or don't don't defend him. But I think the 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 worst part about the Akanji transfer at this moment in time is the amount of minutes he's playing. He is as good a backup as you're ever going to get in the Premier League. And, you know, he's far too good to be a backup and deserves minutes on the pitch. However, I think the amount of game time he's currently getting is a bit is a bit questionable because there were moments against Liverpool, particularly in transition, you know, for that goal, he tries to step up and isn't quite sharp enough. But as a whole, that back three seems to be working much better than it has done in the sort of maybe the, the two months prior. Yeah, I'm I'm a massive fan of this system. I really am. Uh, to have that back three and then a two sat in front, uh, it works for as long as the wingers are willing to put in a shift, which obviously we saw Grealish did. I think it was a minute before he set up the goal for Alvarez. He mm. was uh, tracking back and stopping Salah out on the break. 
as long as the wingers are willing to put the legwork in, which Tamara's his credit, I think, you know, a couple of years ago, he was criticised for being quite lazy at times defensively. He's been putting in the hard yards as well. Obviously, Foden, he's more than willing to run and put in those hard yards. So as long as the wingers are willing to come back and cover wide, I'm a huge fan of this three plus two system. Um, I actually asked my dad during the game, I said, out of interest, which of these Liverpool lot would you take at City? And he's, the very first name that he said was Robertson. Mm. And we were talking about it after the game. And I said, I actually don't think we're going to sign a left-back this summer. I think we're through with that. For me, the way that it's going, I mean, you mentioned Akanji. We're not going to replace Kanji, of course. I think he's here to stay. The reason Akanji's getting so many minutes is partly because of Laporte. Clearly, yeah, there's yeah. some kind of problem here between Laporte and Pep. So, at the moment, we've got five centre-backs, one of them that we've put next to Rodri in, in defensive midfield, and one of them we don't want to see on the pitch, or at least Pep doesn't want to see on the pitch. So, that leaves three of them. Laporte's going to go. So, I think instead of signing a full-back, we are probably going to pick up another centre-back. Obviously, the Josco Guardiol talks. Um, they've been quiet over the last couple of weeks since we played Leipzig, but definitely there. Um, so... I think it's great for what we're trying to do at the moment, for what we're trying to achieve on the pitch, especially with Haaland in the side. It works so much better. And not only that, not having a left back has massively benefited Jack Grealish. We've seen the, I mean, listen, he's had a great season across the season, but especially since that, the that, World That's Cup. interesting, isn't it? Because at the start of the season, uh, Hugh Gray was the man City were linked with. A lot of the talk was City need a left back to get the best out of Jack Grealish. Why? Why suddenly do you think it's the opposite way around? Well, firstly, defensively, right? When, when we looked at how we were building up against Liverpool, when we were attacking down their right side or our left, normally what would happen is that Grealish would come short, and there would be triangles between Rodri, the left back, and Grealish. Then, as we move up the pitch, Chancelo would have basically been completely stepping on Grealish's toes in that half space. The way that we transitioned against Liverpool, at least in the first half, was that the, the triangles were between um, Ake, Diaz and Rodri, and Grealish was sending himself just bolting straight down the line. So as long as, again, Grealish or whoever is playing left wing is willing to come back, then defensively we're covered. And going forward, it gives the winger the freedom of the pitch. And it was the same on the right side as well with Mares. He didn't have Walker overlapping and he didn't have, who would have been in this case, Stones underlapping. So it's giving them a lot more freedom to stretch the pitch by themselves and then find the passes either out to the number eight, Gundo De Bruyne in the middle, or to advance the ball up to Alvarez. I really like the system. I really, really do. And it's going to give Haaland the freedom, as it has since the World Cup, to be that purest penalty box operator. So big fan of it. I hope we go forward with it. And I think in the summer, if we don't sign a left-back, that's going to be the biggest signal that we could possibly get of, of things to come. Uh, yeah, I agree. In terms of summer recruitment, just to do a quick look ahead, I, I don't think... There's a lot of talk about left-backs. I know um, Ben Chilwell's one that's been linked. I, I think if City can get Gvardiol, then that will be that because not only can he play left-back, but he is you know, young player. He can fill that role and he's left-footed to replace Laporte. And, and I do think the back three is here to stay, which, Adam... Um, 
two or three months ago, you'd have you'd have probably committed to gouging your eyes out at this point. I think was the di- the direct quote you said after City. I can't remember which lineup it was, but started with a bat free yet again. You said you know you never want to see it again. The blah blah blah. Do you concede at this point that perhaps maybe Guardiola was correct and you know his vision is is working? Or have you still got a few uh, a few issues that you'd like to wear? Uh... I I won't concede. But I will say that it, it, the reason I won't concede is because it's it's different now. It's completely different to to the style of back three that we were playing in early January. If you think back to, I think it was Chelsea away in the league a few days before we beat them in the cup, and it was a back three, but it was Cancelo playing this weird right wing back where he was about five feet from Kyle Walker at right center back at all <laughs> like times. Like they were on a, they did, a school trip holding hands. Yeah, they, were, they weren't like, allowed to leave each yeah, other's space. They, had a, they were like two dogs that, that were on the same lead. They were just connected to each other. And if, if the other one went to sniff a tree, it forced the other to go Could to the Could do same with tree. putting Kyle Walker on a lead, to be fair. True. So things have changed. You know, I think back to that time, and one of the things that I kept kind of lamenting was every single time City would get the ball in space in a wide position. The players on the ball were Nathan Ake, Manuel Akanji, John Stones, guys that I don't, I don't want to see them bolting up and down the touchline. But things have obviously changed because now we're seeing Grealish picking up the ball on the touchline. We're seeing Riyad Mahrez picking up the ball on the touchline. So I won't concede and say that I was wrong in January and it was the correct system because this is a completely different style of play from that time. Not only is the setup different, but the intent is different. The balls are going in behind to Holland now. The balls are going over the top to Holland now. Grealish is taking men on instead of immediately turning back and giving it to the left center back or Mara's giving it to the inverted center back, fullback, whatever you want to call them. The intent of the team is also completely different. And I just want to have, I want to put in a really, really rogue shout here. I'm going to make a very, very early 2023-24 prediction and say, I think next season on multiple occasions, we will see Calvin Phillips play the John Stones role. So he will be in the back four, but he will be the man to step into midfield and become the, the double double pivot. Yeah, completely agree about Phillips, and and this is this is what I was going to say. Just the the first few things you mentioned were around the troubles that we had making this work with Chancello and Walker. Part of the problem here is that Pep, the way Pep recruits is that he has a system and he recruits players based on the best attributes that he believes they've got to fit that system. This is a system that he's cooked up during the season, so this doesn't quite fit Pep's usual order of proceedings. Normally he cooks up the system, then he goes out into the transfer window and he picks up the players with the right attributes to fit. He's done things backwards this season and he's had to make it work and he now has made it work. And this is why we're seeing Walker sat on the bench. We're seeing Cancelo being let go out to Germany. We are at the point now where we've found the right personnel to execute this game plan or the personnel that we have got have been able to adapt themselves, Stones and Ake chiefly. And now we're starting to hit form and, and we're really starting to sing. So we, I believe we will take the system into next season. And as you say, Calvin Phillips, great shout. Gavardiol can do that left-back slash centre-back hybrid role. Next season, I think we're going to take it to another level because not only will the existing squad that we have be more accustomed to it, as we say with Pep's players, it always takes them a year, um, but we will also be signing players that are custom fit for this system. So I'm really excited to see what it brings. But 
yeah, Booker, I'm, I'm glad to see that you're relenting about the uh, the the viability of this system, and I, I think we're just going to go strength to strength with it. I mean, had it had things stayed the same and maybe the results picked up, but the performances were the same as January, I'd still probably have some some slight complaints. But you have to admit that it is wildly different from you know immediately after the World Cup when um, you could feel that there was four or five center backs on the pitch because it mm. was slow and heavy and there was just a general malaise. Whereas now, I see a lineup with four center backs. It doesn't worry me because I know that the, the four center backs being in there is to provide an amount of stability so that the five or six in the front have loads more freedom and fluidity about them. So things have changed massively from January. If it were the same in January, I, would, I wouldn't have eyeballs. <laughs> That's a nice way to finish part one. Join us in a moment as we continue this, uh, this discussion. Welcome back to the City Report podcast. As always, if you haven't already, Monday's show was a cracker. Go back and listen to it. Um, on this day then, 4th of April 2009, Adi Bayor scored twice, Ollie, for Arsenal as they beat City 2-0 at the Emirates. Quick one, how do you think Adi Bayor is, is remembered? Fairly? Fondly? Underappreciated? You know, what, what category of that binary you have to say something about someone does he fall into? Adebayor is remembered for one thing and one thing only. <laughs> and that is his celebration at the Etihad running 100 yards across the pitch to celebrate at seething, foaming at the mouth Arsenal fans that could see in real time City leapfrogging their own club with their old legend leading the charge. Um, honestly... Myself, I mean, Adebayor was with us when I was 15, 16 years old, so I remember it quite clearly. But I find it hard to actually get past that image in my head. I can't really remember it. You see, Bellamy, I can remember. I can remember Bellamy's contributions, mm. but I actually really struggled to think about anything Adebayor he did. Could have, he could have cured world hunger while <laughs> Mate, he was at City, and I wouldn't have remembered. Literally, honestly. Um and I know, I know at least in his first season, he was he was a revelation to us. He was brilliant. Can you ask, can I remember any of his goals except the one against Arsenal? No, nothing. I, I I kind of feel bad about it because I don't want to take away from his legacy as a wonderful Premier League striker, you know, almost one of those streets I'll never forget players. Mm-hmm. Um, but that, that that I'm sorry, that is his legacy. It's one of the most iconic celebrations the Premier League's ever seen. And it's probably where it all really started. You know, we, we on, on our come up from 2008, we leapfrogged, Spurs, Arsenal, before taking on eventually the, mm. the then mighty Man United. You know, there were, there were a few other obstacles in our way. Spurs and Arsenal were two of those. And that moment is kind of the signal of when we leapfrogged that Arsenal level. Um, yeah, I, I, I'm sorry, Emmanuel, but that, that is the <laughs> lasting memory I have of you, mate. But it's one to treasure. Yeah, yeah. From one set of foaming fans in in Arsenal to another set, Adam. Um, sort of. Let Let's wrap up the the City Liverpool chat with a quite a pertinent point, actually. And and you know, a, a phrase I know you've in the past lamented, but the City Liverpool era. Now, in terms of silverware, it was a non-starter. City dominated. You know, fair enough. Liverpool won the European trophies, City won the domestic ones, which, as we all know in this parish, is the most important part. However, they were the second-best team in England at the time. If it wasn't for City, they probably would have had a few more trophies. Jurgen Klopp, like it or not, is a good manager. 
Liverpool did have good players, not so much anymore. Was Saturday's game the sort of the curtain falling on that period and, and in perfect fashion as well? City City dominating as the as they have done in the Premier League and sort of putting aside this this patched up Liverpool eleven. And and I always felt in the in the Liverpool heyday, albeit a couple of what well, less than twelve months ago, they always felt like they were once one departure away from collapse. And it hasn't all been because of Mane, but it, it certainly helps. And it felt like a team who you take one player out and albeit they did have a decent squad at, at some points, you could put them in and they'd know the system, they'd know the role. The quality wasn't there. And that's what it feels like now is happening to Liverpool. They've aged, they've got older, they've had injuries, etc. whatever, but they're not as good. Is that now done? Pep v Klopp done? Are we, are we moving on from that? Well, Pep v Klopp never existed. Oh, well, it did, but Pep won quite convincingly. I think I think it existed for Ooh. last season, and that's it. And look, they got yeah, ninety-seven here, points. Here's my thing. Yeah, okay, but this is my thing, right? Is they won the one title, and that was not in a season in which they went head to head and won. It was because City massively, massively fell off. You know, mm-hmm. it wasn't a they got 99, we got 98, fanta- you know, 15-game winning streak to 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 the final day. My issue with the whole Pep Klopp era and how it got compared to the Jose Pep Real Madrid Barca days and blah, 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 is because up until last season, I didn't get the feeling of we're constantly going through them for everything. If you look back at the Real Madrid Barca era, there were stretches where they would go like, head-to-head in the league, head-to-head in the Copa del Rey, head-to-head in the Champions League for weeks on end. We didn't really ever have that with Liverpool until last season when we had them in the FA Cup semifinal. That was the first time where I felt like it's always them. It just so happened that they were close but no cigar on a few occasions. But they, when they won the Champions League, they didn't go through us. When they won domestic cups other than the FA Cup last year, they didn't go through us. When we won domestic cups... We didn't go through them. It's just so happened that they finished second. They finished best of the rest a few times when we won titles. I just don't feel that it existed. They didn't beat us at the Etihad at any point in that era except for a second leg in the Champions League. You know? Mm. So I, I it bothers me. And it's it it's epitomized by was it the BBC this weekend saying <laughs> leading into this game that Liverpool and City have won the last five Premier League titles between them. Have they? Liverpool and City scored five goals between them at the weekend. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. It it grinds my gears. I don't know if you've ever seen the Family Guy episode where where uh, Peter gets a full TV show called Grinds My Gears and he just ta- <laughs> he just complains on national television. I could have my own TV show talking about how that era didn't exist. Well, you you sound you sound a little bit like a conspiracy theorist, to be honest, saying it didn't exist because I, I think it, it it existed. It was there. for me. For me, last season was the only time that I felt like I I got those kind of Jose Pep vibes. Possibly, until, but it was still there. Point, and, and I think you, you make you make the Barcelona and Real Madrid comparison. I think that's that's a fair point. However, that's probably more because of the state of Spanish football where. 
those two are the behemoths. Whereas in England, you have got a Chelsea, you have got a United, you have got an Arsenal who will occasionally throw up the odd challenge. And the quality is much more saturated. Whereas in Barcelona and, and uh, Real Madrid's case, it's much more concentrated. Let, so it, it exists. Me, I'll, bring Oli, I'll bring Ollie in on this. Before let me say you, one thing. Yeah. Let me say one thing because I'm, I'm sweating a lot here. Um, Chelsea have won all of the same trophies as Liverpool in this era, in the same time span. Yeah. So yeah, was but, it also yeah. a City Chelsea era because they were the other team competing for trophies? I don't understand. But City never went against Chelsea for a for a Premier. Yeah, we did. League. We Ollie. played them in FA Cup semi-finals. We played them in a Champions League for final. A Premier League, young boy, pipe down, um, Ollie, uh Before Adam can bust, um, I think I think it it you know Adam makes a fair point in the fact that you know. Liverpool's golden era, so to speak, is is as is as decorated as Chelsea's down period. I, you know, I don't take the point down period. They were they were a second division club about 20, 30 years ago. But you know, a, a, a not as successful period in Chelsea's history. Liverpool have won the same amount as them. Um, I have no qualms in saying the Klopp versus Pep era existed because for me, there's a, quite a definitive. There was only ever going to be one winner, and it was it was Pep Guardiola. I'm quite happy to say that Liverpool, in all aspects, bar maybe the European Cup, were comfortably second best. Don't know about you. So, firstly, I'm just going to say, Booker, I feel sorry for your mentions if the Liverpool fans get hold of this episode <laughs> because they are going to be wasted for two weeks. Um, They've got nothing else to do, to be fair to them. Right. I, I, I disagree about the rivalry, but I, I disagree on Booker's take about the rivalry. We had so 1819 we were first they were second 1920 they were first we were second albeit yes we did massively drop off notes to liverpool fans that's how you actually have a drop off you still finish second <laughs> you don't drop into the europa league or europa conference league um and uh, of course last season we finished first they finished second so of the last five titles we've finished a combination of first and second three times the other two times, it was United in second. So, in terms of achievement, at least domestically, I'm not going to count Champions League, the reason being that anyone can win it. Um, where did Chelsea Apart finish when they won it? Uh, where did Chelsea finish when they won it? I think it was seventh. They missed out on Champions League football. They missed out on European football. Right, and there you go. So, talking domestically, we have been enormously a magnitude more successful than Liverpool in their golden era. Uh -huh. um, but the, the rivalry... The, the rivalry was... It was so evil. It was so completely The rivalry was there, though. I mean, there was genuinely, hand on heart, yeah. a point in time during that rivalry where I hated Liverpool more than I hated Manchester United. A very brief period, but it was there. And I'm, I was never disputing that. I'd like... I'd like to throw that no, in. He's coming with his pitch. tail between no, no, no. the legs now. Off the pitch, off the, the rivalry was fantastic. And I agree with you that at the time, I cared more about Liverpool's results than United's. What The, the thing I'm saying is, other than... We're talking about a, what, six, seven-year span, right? Because Klopp's Liverpool kind of got going 2017. In a six, seven-year span, three Premier League title races, that's it. It, it, yeah. Whereas in every other competition where there are many other competitions that both City and Liverpool take place in, it wasn't if one didn't win it, the other did. 
that was I get never that. the case. I get that. But the, the rivalry was there because we were breaking records that otherwise would have been broken by Liverpool had it not been for us. They were the only team that were also pushing to extreme levels. Um, of course, last season, the winning run, winning it on the last day, uh, 98 points versus 97 points. The rivalry isn't necessarily outright, where did each team finish per season, first, second, second, first. I get that, not necessarily the case. It's just more that when things went to the extremes, the most extreme of extremes that English football has ever seen in terms of points, tallies, goals scored, that kind of thing, they were also there with us. Uh, but ultimately, yeah, we came out on top. And when their chance came to win 100 points as well, or even break it, they bottled it. They bottled it. They, they didn't even need us on their toes. We weren't on their toes. They had all the space and time in the world to do it, and they bottled it. So they were they were rivals to us in that they were the only team giving us competition throughout such a period of extreme dominance. But unfortunately for them, it's pretty meek as far as golden eras go. Yeah, yeah. There's a clear comparison for me, um, and it's the Blur versus Oasis era. And there was, you know, <laughs> there were two good British Britpop bands going head to head at the time, and there was only one clear winner, and it isn't the fella who now dresses up as a gorilla as cosplay. And that is a splendid place to finish. Um, let us know your thoughts on this, obviously, uh, at City Report Pod on all platforms. Adam, that was fun. Have you uh, have you come down from the rooftop yet? I feel sorry for your poor dog. She's gonna be she's gonna be cowering in a corner after that. Yeah, there's gonna be some uh, some drywall punched out like a <laughs> mic the situation later on. So yeah, yeah, um, that's a niche they... reference. I think for the <laughs> I have Americans, no idea. So yeah, it's it's no a Jersey idea. Shore. It's a Jersey Shore reference. Uh, Just picture right. me as a juiced up Guido punching drywall after a night out at the clubs. That's how I feel right now. <laughs> Ollie, lot of fun. Thank you, mate. Thank you. As always, follow, subscribe. Uh, If you don't already, leave a rating and a review as well. We'll be back tomorrow. Until then, we'll see you later. Make sure you're geared up for Man City's end-of-season running with McDelivery. Great food delivered right to your door. By using McDelivery, you won't miss a moment of City's crucial running, and just like Kevin De Bruyne, they deliver your order exactly where you want it. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. Are you in? At participating restaurants only, 18 and plus, serving times, delivery fee, and terms apply. See McDonald's.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.